Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Tune Under podcast. We are here to talk about Newcastle 4, Chelsea 1. A very, very nice result. Uh, I'm Jack in Brisbane, and I am here with Keegan in Geelong. Keegan, my first question to you is, what were you more entertained by? Robbie Williams in the rain or Bruno and Anthony Gordon putting Chelsea to the sword in a 4-1 victory? I think I probably walked out of Robbie Williams at about a eight, eight and a half and then got a couple of hours in and then by about 4 a.m., I was up to about I was a solid ten. So <laughs> it's been a it's been a long long and winding Sunday. So it's uh oh well, it's about uh, twenty past nine at the moment. So uh, sleep's not the best for me at the moment, but I'm happy to be on here and talking about the game with you tonight. So what you're saying is Robbie was sort of the the starter, and then. Uh... Anthony yeah. and, and Alex and yeah. Lewis, they were the main course. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't think I've ever said Robbie's the garlic bread. He's always the uh <laughs> he's always the main course. But yeah, unfortunately last night he was the garlic bread. And I know I love garlic bread, so I'm happy for the uh entree and the main course. What's uh, what's Robbie doing in a little a little town like Geelong anyway? That's what I want to know. Well, this is the second time he's been here, Jack. So he must have loved it that much the first time. He said, I have to go back there. And why wouldn't you come to God's country to perform your greatest hits again? What's better than Robbie in the rain? <laughs> because it was absolutely <laughs> pissing down. Yeah. Um... Think, yeah, if you get on if you get on Robbie's socials, you can kind of get a bit of a bit of an idea of some of the rain that was Pissing. It hasn't rained here for about three weeks, and the last two days it's absolutely pissed down. So, but yeah, so uh, we didn't have a problem it, in the world. It did look like it had a nice time. And uh, Katie, my wife Katie, follows him on uh, on Facebook. She's very jealous about the fact you were there. Yeah. Um, but I, I said to her, you know, it's um, Robbie's all right, but you know, four one against Chelsea is probably he's no Bruno. He's, he's no Bruno. Put it that way. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about Bruno a bit later. Obviously, because what a what a performance! But what do you think then? That four one in in all of the circumstances, all of the context that went into that that game. What's your sort of reaction to that that win? Because it's the start of a massive week, and we couldn't really have had much of a better start to the week, could we? No, it's. I don't know how many times we can say this, but oh, that was like one of the best wins we've had under Eddie Howe. <laughs> it feels like we've said this about fifteen times. And I don't know if it's starting to lose its sort of the value of it, but given the circumstances, and I know, I think on the from the last game, I think Isak was the only player we actually got back into the starting eleven because I think Miggy actually started the Bournemouth game. He just didn't didn't last very long with that hamstring injury. But and then to see that Willick, we'd lost Willick and Longstaff as well. I'm like, oh my god! And then. You know, things are bad when you look at the bench. We'll probably get to this later, but you've got three goalkeepers and four under 21s <laughs> with, with uh, Paul Dummett and Matt Ritchie. So I expectations were low, and I know we should never think that it, with a home game against anyone, but given the, the team and no disrespect to Lewis Miley, I think he's going to be a very good player. But for a 17-year-old to start um, because of the circumstances and, and things like that, Expectations were low, but 
look, I should have known better. I think we all should have known better that at home we'll beat anyone. You've been listening to Lee too much. Expectations indeed were low. He thought we were going to lose 3 0. I didn't think we were going to lose. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I thought we could. I thought we'd draw because I, I think Chelsea's recent games have kind of been a, a, the Man City game was bizarre. I think it was like a FIFA game that, but the Tottenham game was kind of a false 4 1, I thought. Um, but ours was a lot more, I think, true and, and fair with the way we play, especially in the second half. Yes, but um, Chelsea have had two games now, or three games now, including this one, where they've been very high scoring. <laughs> yeah. The Spurs game was just weird. Like, it was it was never a 4-1. And they scored goals at the end. The Man City game was just kind of end-to-end sort of thing. But Chelsea had actually won three away games in the league before this game. Mm. And they'd only, they'd only lost one away all season. That was the first game against West Ham. So th- there was a bit of a narrative coming into this that Chelsea were on the up, they were on the turn, you know, like as if everyone's plucky little Chelsea, plucky little Chelsea. Yeah. They're on the turn. 250 million on the bench, <laughs> the battlers. 233 million came off the bench for them. Yeah. Uh, and we'll talk about, we'll talk about our bench in a minute. Um, but yeah, plucky little Chelsea just couldn't handle St. James's Park today. Um, that's the first time either. Start on lineup then. So we had, we had Target at left back. We had Botman and Burn in at the back, and then we had Mankiw at right back. We had Anderson, Willock, and Longstaff in the middle. Murphy, Barnes, and Wilson. Oh, hang on a minute. Sorry, no, we didn't. <laughs> this is Newcastle United knackers card. This is yeah. this is the this is an eleven or without the goalkeeper. This is a team that we, we probably would we've got actually got out injured at the moment. So this doesn't even include uh, Sandro Tonali or Lewis Hall, who were ineligible for this. And I, I don't want to keep banging on about the amount of injuries. And I was determined not to talk too much about that today. But basically, we have got an entire... I just want to... This just reinforces the point and sort of sort of hammers home what a good result this is. Because look at those look at those injuries. Unavailable players. How good is it that we've actually managed to pull this off without basically what would be a pretty strong team there, isn't it, Keegan? Yeah, I... I've got a question for you, Jack. Assuming that um, Martin Dubravka's in in goals for this team, who would win out of this team and the team that played Chelsea yesterday? Do you think <laughs> it's tough, isn't it? It's I think when actually when we get onto the, the real team, um, even though the bench was very weak, I think we'll see when we look at the first team. We've actually probably got six or seven first team players who would who would actually be starting. Anyway, so let's do it now. Let's just have a look at the real. That was just. Let's just have a look at the real team. It was, a, it was a gag. It was one of Jack's gags. It was a little bit of a gag. A bit of a gag. <laughs> right. So we had Pope and goal. We had Trippier, Lascelles, Cher, and Livermento was playing left back. We had Bruno and Joe Linton back from their international exertions in that crazy game in uh, in Brazil against Argentina. Lewis Miley played again, second league game in a row for him, and then we had Miggy. Gordon and Isak. A very, very welcome return to the starting line of for Alexander Isak. Substitutes. <laughs> We've already touched on this. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen any team have three goalkeepers on the bench before. Then we had Dummett and Richie, the, the the elder statesman. And then you've got you've got four literal children. Children. You've got Diallo, Alex Murphy, Michael Undiweni, and Ben Parkinson. 
the the surprise from this, I guess, was that Willock wasn't there. Um, it's it's difficult from Eddie's press conferences to ever actually believe anything he says or take too much from it because he just never gives anything away. But it was a bit of a surprise that Willock had suffered a reoccurrence of his Achilles injury, apparently. Mm. Um, but a big relief came to see Isak back. And and like I said before, the, that first team is actually very, very strong, isn't it? Despite all of the injuries. It is, yeah. I think Lewis Miley is probably the the obvious, I don't want to say weak link, but least experienced player and, and things like that at this stage of his career. But apart from that, I mean, it's a pretty good 11, especially with Isak back, Gordon back out to his natural wing position. Almiron, I think Al Murphy... Barnes, if all fit, would probably rotate through them wings throughout games and different guys will be starting different games and, and all that. And that was the idea behind the whole signings for the summer to give really strong depth what we thought we we're going to need during the year. And it's probably gone way too far past what we thought we were going to need in terms of depth and stuff like that. I think the, one of the biggest questions, especially with the substitutes, I think is, does Matt Ritchie get a babysitter fee for looking after the four <laughs> kids? While they're on the bench as well, I think maybe we could get our friend Andy to ask Eddie that before, whether it's the uh, the PSG press conference or the next league press conference on Friday or whatever it is. That'd be a really important question to ask. But I think there were, I think Bruno and, and Joel Intuo is going to play, but you're always concerned with that long haul flight from the other side of the world to, to come back on a short turnaround and back up. Again, especially with the the lack of depth that we have, so they're kind of forced to play. But that is always a concern. Almiron obviously didn't travel, but yeah, Isak back was massive. I think he's our best forward, regardless of Wilson's goal scoring record and things like that. I I don't think I've seen a player like him with the composure inside the eighteen yard box that he that, that he has. At least for Newcastle, anyway. I know Tier Henry. I think the comparisons we've we've said. Ad nauseum, but the composure that he has with the ball at his feet inside the six-yard box is something I don't think I've ever seen in my time as a Newcastle fan. Yeah, it's um, it's very, very good to have him back. But like I was saying, like you look at that team, and there's maybe only Lascelles, Livramento, and probably Miley who would, you know, the, the rest might be starting in the first team anyway. So for all of the injuries we do have and suspensions. The first team is still very, very strong. Like it's just behind that. Like you said, I was joking in the week that Jacob Murphy's baby was probably going to get on the bench, uh, and there, there is a Murphy on there, so <laughs> it might have been him. It might be him. Would, yeah. <laughs> what about? We'll quickly touch on Livermento. His form's been absolutely outstanding since he'd started playing. Whether it was in the League Cup when when Trippier started off, or since. Burns been injured and him and Trippy have kind of swapped between right back and left back. I know Dan Burns been great and he's had his critics and stuff like that, but I don't think he's an automatic walk back in now with the form that Livermento's had since he's come into the yeah. side. He's uh, he's never he hasn't really just put a foot wrong. You know he's just been absolutely excellent every time he's played. And this probably wasn't his most outstanding game, but he still was winning the ball. He was still running forward. He's just a threat. Yeah. Like he's, he's he's always a threat from fullback, and that's something we haven't necessarily had when Burns in there. Uh, so I think if if left back was his natural position, I think there wouldn't be much debate. I think Burn would struggle to get back in. Um, but it, it does sort of change the way we play as well because we've done that 
thing where we've we've sat in at the back with three and then Trippier's basically been an extra midfielder. But with Livramento, he, he can sit in or he can move into the midfield or he can bomb forward as well. So he just gives you that extra option. Um, Burn's going to be out for a while. We've also got Lewis Hall as well, of course, who can play in there. So I think that the one thing we can say is that the right-back position is sorted for the next 10 years, <laughs> potentially. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see how long Trippier's yeah. got left, but what a what an option that is behind him, Livermento. Yeah, he's been great. I know there was some knocks on him when we brought, not so much when we brought him, but probably about a month ago when they weren't playing, and I can't remember what game it was, and people were saying, "Oh, why wouldn't you bring them on to try and change it, was it Wolves, up?" Yeah. Wolves, yeah, Wolves, yeah. And what there were there were a few people questioning why we even brought them for if we weren't going to play them, but. Livermento especially has been outstanding. The games he's yeah, played, he's and I can't. I feel, I feel sorry for Lewis Hall a little bit. I know Livermento is maybe a couple of years older than him, but rightly or wrongly, they both get compared to each other because they're young players who both come in at the same time. And Livermento seems a lot further advanced yeah. than what Hall is in his career. So I do yeah, feel sorry for him because people kind of there is a couple of years difference in their age. So let Hall sort of let's judge Hall. Yeah, in two years' time, when he's Livermento's age, and Livermento's had a whole season at Southampton in the Premier League as well, which is yeah. really invaluable experience. So yeah, and uh, played really you know, well. Yeah, he was brilliant. Like the the fullback positions are sorted, and you know that thirty six million or whatever it is is not going to look like uh, a bad signing. You know, in in, no. in a year or two, it doesn't even look like a bad signing now. Like he's it's one no. for the future. But when players for the future can play now, like like that as well. And it was against his former club as well, which was nice for him. He mm. was up against Reese James, who was kind of one of the Teammates. reasons why he had to leave Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah, he's brilliant. Um, which of these players, because all of the injuries we've had and that we keep getting, which of these players do you think would be the biggest miss if, if they went down injured? Because we've got a lot of games. We've got about 50 games in the next three weeks. So there probably is a likelihood that some of these players are going to get fatigued. Which do you think it is that would be the biggest miss if, if they went down? It's probably the most obvious guy. It's a guy we've never won when he hasn't played. So <laughs> Bruno, if yeah. if you took Bruno out, I'd probably it'd be either probably Shah or Gordon for me. But yeah, Bruno's the obvious one, so maybe we'll exclude him because the, the numbers don't lie. But yeah. Or even Isak, but depending on like Wilson's availability. But I just think Gordon's this year's Probably been our player of the season mm. so far, so he'd be a massive miss. Yeah, we're, we're gonna, lucky that he hasn't uh, suffered an injury yet. We're going to talk about all of these players individually later because they just deserve they deserve to be talked about on their own. Um, but yeah, the the bench was very um, <laughs> diverse, let's say. And like I said, Chelsea brought on two hundred thirty three million pounds worth of players. We brought on twelve million. Of which 10 million was Matt Ritchie seven or eight years ago. <laughs> uh, so it just shows like that to, to have this result like this against a team who were improving, you know, and who've spent so much money is just so impressive. And I think it's just what we needed to kind of Bournemouth is a few weeks ago now, but just to kind of get rid of that and to set us up for the week ahead and to get some more points on the board and to help us keep in touch with the sort of top four, top five. So the first half, um, I think we generally we had kind of the better of the first half in terms of possession. 
and territory. But by that, by half time, each team had had six shots on goal each. We took the lead. Um, it was Isak's seventh league goal of the season, which brings him level with Wilson. Um, I just want to talk about. We'll talk about Anthony Gordon later as well, but he he played a role in this goal as well because he does that run where he sort of gets the ball and he just. It's hard to tackle him because if you're going to go for him, you'll probably foul him. And he does that run, that horizontal run across the pitch where players don't know what he's going to do. He could flick it in, he could shoot, he could pop it off. He passed it off and it came into, it, it deflected into Lewis Miley. 17 years, he, he's not 18 until May. And <laughs> you couldn't see that pass on the TV. It was like, you know, he's going to shoot. It just looked like he was going to shoot like, any 17-year-old playing the first game, league game at St. James's Park would probably do, get excited. But for a 17-year-old to have that vision, and it wasn't it wasn't necessarily a hard pass. It was it was kind of a straight pass into Isak, but it was the weight on the pass, and it was the vision to even see that in the first place. Um, what a pass, what an assist, and uh, Isak tucked it away. I'm just going to, before we talk about Miley, I'm just going to flash this. So the youngest assist makers, um, he's Newcastle's youngest assister. That's 17 years and 208 days. Uh, he's sixth in the Premier League there. There's some pretty special players on that list. You've got say, Wayne Rooney, Cesc Fabregas, you've got Phil Foden, Aaron Ramsey, Theo Walcott. Quite randomly, you've got Nigel Kwaji, who I think is, uh, I think he's got the record for the most relegations. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's pretty um pretty high company to keep. Talk about the goal, Keegan. The pass, the finish from from Ice Cold Alex. What did you think of it? Yeah, I, I, like you said, the pass was easy. It was a well, a seven meter straight pass. Like, but the the thing that made it was the the touch was unbelievable because of that deflection. It was a quick reaction. Soft feet sort of killed the ball right where he needed it. And like you said, the guy playing home to boo, boyhood club, all his family and friends are there at the top of the 18-yard box. The easiest thing to do would be to have a look, just have a go and see what happens. <laughs> you might get a deflection, it might go in, but the composure and the the clearness of thought to actually just play that ball into Isak was phenomenal. And even like the behind the goal shot is probably the best angle of it because you can see it's just, it just parted and I don't know, Cucurella just froze. I think he ended up watching the game and that split seconds, that's all a good player needs for half a, half a yard of space in the box and, and makes them pay. But it, it's the whole, it's just a composure. I think Eddie spoke about it after the game as well. It's just, it's crazy that a 17 year old, kid who's on his second start ever in the Premier League can have the composure to do that and, and stuff like that. And a part of me thinks maybe he was, he seems a really humble kid, like quiet and, and, and things like that. Part of me thinks he didn't want to shoot, if that makes sense. Like he'd rather <laughs> give it to the more experienced player and, oh, he's just, I'll just give it to him because he's a lot better than what I am and stuff like that. But it's, so much more. And I think you could even tell with Isak's reaction. He was like, he just ran to him and grabbed him. I'm like, I know he's young and he's done all the preseason with the first team and 
but he's still a 17 year old kid. Like, mm-hmm. and to have a 63 million pound player, like, basically grab you in a headlock and point to you and tell you how good you are. Like, like, I know he's your teammate and you shouldn't feel like that, but it'd be impossible not to feel like that. Like, oh, my God, like, Alexander Isak's giving me the big ones in front of everyone at St. James's Park. Yeah, he's living the dream, isn't he? And it wasn't just that. Like, it was his whole performance was pretty assured. Um, he's That's twice he's came up against Enzo Fernandez now, 100 million, and... <laughs> Miley's been the better player both times, to be honest. Like, you don't want to get too carried away with players, but I think Eddie has just made a couple of comments about him, and he said that what you know what sets him apart from his peers at his age is just his composure, his football brain. He just looks like an absolutely top-class player already. So, if you, if we can, I'm sure he will be managed in the right way. But it's not often you see young midfielders. Like sometimes you know it's wingers maybe. That come in who who are young and who are who are fast, but he just seems to have the composure. He's got the physical stature as well, even though he still has to fill out. A That's bit. the biggest thing for me because, like you said, with the wingers, it, the wings more of a speed position rather than a physical position where you can kind of skin a guy and get around him, and you sort of lose that physical aspect. But well, when you're in the middle of the park, like you're in the kitchen, there's stuff going on everywhere. You're always getting bumped and knocked, and I think if you can show you've got that physical like not size about you, but that physical sort of attributes, you'll be fine. And coupled that with your composure, he'll be fine to play yeah. for the rest. Of, like, I really hope he doesn't, but he'll be fine to play for the rest of the year. But there were, remember there were calls at the start of the year, let's send him out on loan and yeah. to a sort of top upper tier championship club and give him that sort of Elliot Anderson. Mm six months or whatever or 12 months and really maybe fast track his development. But I'm really glad he stayed now because he's going to get games here because of what's happened. And he's probably could be him and Anderson could be the biggest beneficiaries of the Tenali suspension because once Anderson comes back, I think there'll be a spot for him there most weeks with, with Miley as well. Yeah. He's probably, it was, it sounds a bit funny, but he's probably too young to kind of go out on loan. Like what's the benefit of sending a a kid to a 17 year old environment when he's got, everything he needs around him and he is going to get game time as well. I think the biggest compliment you can pay him from this game is that he was in the long staff position and he basically just did what long staff would do. Like he ran all day, he won the ball, he did what he had to do and he got that beautiful assist. Like for a 17 year old, it's very, very special to see that from the academy and our academy has not been great in recent years. So if he can get someone like this, you know, who knows what he could be or, how far he could go. And I think it's keeping his feet on the ground will be a big part of it. And we've got the right manager for that and the right set of players. So I'm 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 no doubt that's gonna happen. He was fantastic all game. But Chelsea came back into it and then it wasn't long after we scored that they got the equalizer. I don't know if you've seen the the foul. It was it was LaSalle made a mistake actually first and he did this. He gave the ball of, away, yeah. He did it a couple of times in the game where he gave the ball away. And but he, he when he gave it away, he was a bit higher than what he normally is, which kind of left this big hole behind him. Yeah, we, we were on the attack and it wasn't even necessarily a dangerous position. It was just that there was a lot of space behind him because we, mm. we were on the attack. Sterling came forward and then Trippier. I think with these ones, you're always going to give a free kick away. Like I think he did foul him probably. He, he, I think he touched him. 
Um, I don't know what you think about that. Yellow maybe a bit harsh because there was covering defenders. But either way, Sterling is not really renowned for stepping up and popping free kicks into the top corner. So, <laughs> what were your kind of thoughts at that stage then, when you know that that goal went in, and did you think it was a foul leading to their goal as well? I'm going to put a two four hat on. I didn't think it was a foul, but Anthony Gordon does the same thing about ten times a game. So you can't sort of not turn a blind eye to Anthony Gordon when he does it and then say that Trippier's wasn't. And if it's a foul, it's got to be a yellow card. But look, technically, he's impeded his run. Oh, you say, I think it was Shah was a covering defender, so clearly not a red card because he, he wasn't through on goal. But, yeah, I don't think anyone really was upset that Raheem Sterling was standing over the free kick. <laughs> <laughs> but fair play to him. He proved everyone wrong. It was a cracker. Yeah, it was a beautiful free kick straight into the top corner. Um, I don't know if he scored free kicks before, but that was um, it was really good. And kind of Chelsea had come back into it. It was a really, really good game. Like if you were watching that as a neutral, you'd be mm. and the commentators were saying they were really impressed by the quality from both teams. Really, straight after their goal, Joe Linton missed, and he's done oh. this. He's done this twice now in three games because he missed a header against Dortmund. But this was even worse. It was just so easy to score corner at the back post and he somehow missed it. Like, he needs to work on his head in. Like, he, he, he does everything else really well. <laughs> but when he gets in goal, he sees that goal with his head. He just can't seem to compose himself. And it no. was against Manchester United last season as well where he missed a couple. Yeah. He just, Joel Linton with the ball at his head inside the Aaron Yard boxes. is a recipe <laughs> for disaster. It's just he'd he'd have a great little YouTube highlights package of all his I wouldn't say highlights, but incidents <laughs> with the ball on his head. But I think it looked like he tried to work it into the corner once the ball and it was a great ball and how yeah, he got beautiful. there. I, I can't remember. Someone blocked his his defender and just left him wide open. And I think he'd kind of try to just sort of nestle it in the end corner there but the keeper had fallen over he just had to head it straight (laughs) through like he didn't have to try and angle it away all he had to do was just hit it straight back where it come from and it would have been in so i'd like to think i'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he didn't actually see the keeper fall over so he could have hit it anywhere but it it's no excuse like that's that's unforgivable and in the state of the game that could have been really really costly miss and we're very fortunate that it wasn't yeah it could really have been been costly and um, i think it might have been given it a foul as well though I, I was watching the highlights on um nufc on um youtube with matthew raceback and it was actually apparently a foul but i think var would have said that it wasn't a foul because the keeper just fell over <laughs> you can't just yeah, get a foul yeah, yeah. the keeper falls over um, yeah. But- yeah i think he just lost his footing it looked like yeah, yeah. The the referees quite often will just give fouls if the keeper. He fell down. over. Something's happened to him. But like, he, he's not he's not convincing that goalkeeper anyway. Like he, he wasn't convincing no, throughout the game. Wasn't, no. <laughs> <laughs> but Chelsea had a couple of chances as well. So Gallagher, Pope, Pope with his feet is not something I like seeing at the moment. He sort of spooned a, a attempted pass. Um, but just before that, or just after that, he made a really good save though. So he kind of redeemed himself. And then from the corner, from the save, there was a free header that was straight at him. Trippier hit the bar for us as well. So it was actually a really good sort of... 
I think we had the better of the half in terms of possession and territory, but chances was probably pretty equal. Uh, it could have easily been 2-2 at halftime. And I've got to be honest, at that point, I was just thinking, let's just take a point out of this and yeah, get home without any more injuries. <laughs> it's like... When you have this amount of injuries, you can't stop thinking. It's like that's what is in the forefront of your mind all the time. You're not thinking, well, I'm not as a fan thinking about the game as much. I'm just thinking about, I hope we don't get any more injuries. And Joe Linton and Gordon did both go down as well. Yeah. And what and looked like looked quite innocuous incidents in the first hard half. Hard in your mouth. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no, not another one. But thankfully, they were both okay. And LaSalle's looked like he was sort of hobbling around for most of the game. But I think. Eddie House said does something wrong with his boot. I don't subscribe to the <laughs> fact that I think that's a load of shit, but um, hopefully he'll be right because he's actually been pretty good and we'll probably get to him very shortly. Yeah. We will, we will, yeah. It was but when Gordon went down, especially, it was just horrible sink, sinking feeling. And Longstaff did this in the Bournemouth game as well, where he and he's obviously out of this game because of that that knock he got in the Bournemouth game. But you just feel like you can't catch a break, you know, like we've got basically no senior players on the bench even. So it's, and the more it happens like that, the more you think we're going to get some fatigue injuries with all these games we've got coming up as well. So any, yeah. any win we can get at the minute is really important. Yeah. Any the every second, point with gold at the moment. The second half started a bit dodgy. LaSalle's made another mistake and Chelsea had a free kick, which for some reason Sterling didn't take this time, even yeah. though it was almost the exact same position. <laughs> the commentators were all over it too. I got who, yeah. Who was the Scottish bloke on our feed? Um, I don't actually know. I don't know who it was. It yeah, was, uh, he was like, I, don't have I can't often. believe. Yeah, I can't believe that he's let him take it after he scored the last one. There's no way you should be letting him take the next one. <laughs> so Reese James kind of spooned it over the bar anyway. So. And after that, we sort of were on top again. And then all of a sudden, it was 3-1. <laughs> so rounds of pause. So the, the first the first of those goals then, um, our free kicks had not been amazing all day. The, the set pieces weren't great. So this time, we, we had a, a free kick on the right. And we just played it across with kind of minimal sort of challenging, really. Like it went from Trippier to Bruno to Jolin and... Yeah. No out to Gordon, who yeah. just whipped in an absolute peach, absolutely fantastic cross onto the head of Jamal LaSalle's, who just took it away. He was completely unmarked. He was completely unmarked. He was still forward from the from the free kick. I do have to give Dimmy some credit here yeah, because absolutely. he did say in the last podcast that Jamal LaSalle's was going to score a second half header, <laughs> which he did. But the cross from Gordon, like the, when you see the technique that he's got, and we'll talk about him more when we talk about his goal. I've said this a few times and it just sounds silly, but this technique reminds me a bit of Cristiano Ronaldo, the way he crosses the ball, the way he touches the ball. He's got so much quality and he's he's adding outputs and end product onto, onto his game now, which is the one thing that Everton fans said, you're never going to get end product from him. Well, we are getting end product from him and he's probably worth double what we paid for him. And what a moment for Jamal LaSalle's to just power that header into the corner. So at this point, Keegs, you're thinking, this is it now. We're looking good. Yeah, I was thinking, shit, there's a long way to go. It was the first thing I was thinking. But 
yeah, Lascelles is just a he's probably our best defender at set pieces, I think. He's our biggest threat out of, out of our centre backs, even though Burns eight foot ten and stuff like that. I think Lascelles is probably our, our best header of the ball in terms of set pieces and stuff. So I'm glad and we've been banging on him for a while now, probably ever since Botman has been injured, but to, well, there's a there's a fair argument that people would make that Sven Botman's probably our best centre back after being here for eighteen months. But I think the biggest compliment you could pay ourselves is we haven't missed Botman, mm. which which is massive. So credit to him, and we shouldn't be surprised. Like Eddie, this is what Eddie does. He's done it to every yeah. other fringe or average player that we've had in in the squad. So we shouldn't be surprised of, that he's done it with Jamal ourselves as well. But I think it's it's about time he actually got some some kind of reward for the way mm. he's been playing and stuff like that. And Gordon's Gordon's unreal. Like yeah. he's quick, he's, he's fit, and if any Newcastle fan wants a laugh or a smile, jump on social media and scroll back to when we signed Anthony <sighs> Gordon and just read some of the comments from the Everton fans. It completely oblivious that it was them that was making him a bad player. Like, <laughs> the way the club, whether he was coached and, and everything like that, I mean, he's come up through their academy. They're bloody doorstopping him in the streets after games and trying to railroad him out and everything like that. And there's not many people that had a, a good or a bad word to say when he left, especially with the price we paid for him. They thought they'd, like the cat that got the cream they were, but 12 months later, it's phenomenal. that Not even 12 months later. What like you said, he's if he's a forty million, if the fees correct, it was forty million. He's worth sixty, and yeah. and then some, like comfortably. It was quite nice in this game to see Cole Palmer, who got called up for England, because that's what happens when somebody has a a, a couple of good games for a traditional big club. They get called up for England. Anthony Gordon's been tearing up all seasons, probably to our advantage that he didn't get called up because it meant that he'd had two weeks off. Yeah, but if he's not in that England squad soon, like I don't know what more he can he can do. Like you talk about the job that Eddie has done with you know with Lascelles and and Joe Linton, he's turned Jacob Murphy into a Champions League winger winger. So what can he do with Anthony Gordon, who's got a lot more potential and ability than Jacob Murphy? Yeah, he's younger. Yeah, he could be a true elite forward, and he's on the he's on the way to to be in that like there's, there hasn't been any signs of his kind of petulance like we'll talk about his goal a bit later as well but he's now got five goals and three assists he's won two penalties as well in the league so he's just so good like you see him on the team sheet and you just feel excited defenders must hate playing against him he's absolutely amazing to watch he's brilliant and then before Chelsea could even set themselves before the camera had even gone back to the, <laughs> the game action they missed the kickoff <laughs> and nearly missed the second one as well. That's it. So England's um, Cole Palmer just passed it back to um, to Thiago Silva, who looks every bit as 38, 39 years, what he is now. He's he made some completely kind of forgot for the second time <laughs> in the game. <laughs> I think it was actually, it was a tackle from Livermento that, that led to this. He goal. got his foot so in that started. He got it, his yeah. foot and then he won the ball. Chelsea passed it back and then. You've got to be you've got to be honest, like being chased down like that by Joe Linton's got to be scary, even for <laughs> someone be. like Thiago Silva. Yeah. Yeah. He scared him into a mistake and he missed his header, Joe Linton, but he was not gonna miss this. 
he absolutely twatted it as hard as he could. Yeah. Uh, he took he took quite a heavy touch first, but it set him up perfectly. The goalkeeper was like diving out the way of the ball. I think he was scared of it. And yeah, Jim no. just yeah. hammered it into the bottom. <laughs> the goal is great goal. He the the length of his stride, he was just a man <laughs> on a mission. Like yeah, he was I don't think I've seen someone run at goal so aggressively than what he did and then he just hit it with a stack of violence like and like I said I think the keeper kind of jumped out of the way as if to say just go that side I don't want anything <laughs> to do with this and then yeah like you can tell the celebrations I think was more of a I'm sorry I hope this is making up for <laughs> what I missed earlier and stuff like that and his first goal for the season as well which yeah, was surprising season, I thought yeah. Thought he might have scored already, but yeah, I think that definitely set the uh, the cat amongst the pigeons, and I think everyone was sort of breathing a bit of a sigh of relief with that two goal cushion. Yeah, and it's it's what it's what we do. Like we did this against Villa as well, where we just we get a goal, we smell blood, and we just go for it, you know. And teams struggle with that kind of intensity at St James's Park, especially. So as soon as it went to three one, like you still feel like. A bit worried because it's you know it's Newcastle and nothing's ever no depth and there's no like depth that. there's nothing on the bench nobody feels comfortable Chelsea's still got a lot of good players and good players to bring off the bench. Can I just but say not... something before we move on about this goal? Yeah. So you've said it and everyone said it. The mistake like it was a howler from Thiago Silva, right? How many times are people going to say? Oh, it was a mistake. mistake. Yeah, the opposition have made a mistake. Yeah, do you know what? If he doesn't have a six foot five Brazilian bulldozer <laughs> running at him, he doesn't make the mistake. Like we are forcing teams into mistake. Like, they're only making them because we're putting pressure on them. And I think it looked like he was going to play that ball square, and Isak was there, so he couldn't play that. And then he just panicked. But he doesn't <laughs> panic unless we're actually putting the pressure on. And I'm sick of every team that this or every team that does this at St. James's Park is always, they get that, oh, they've made a mistake. They've made a mistake. No, no, we've made them make the mistake. Like, let's start acknowledging the fact that we're the instigators of this, not them. Yeah, and that's what happens as well when you win the ball, like Tino did in their half. Like, they hadn't set themselves. They were still reeling from... Lascelles' goal, and then Tino had the ability and the presence of mind to just get in and win the ball in their half. And it's a bit like what Shah did against PSG for his fourth goal. For some reason, he was still up there in the midfield, <laughs> winning the ball at that point of the game when you know the game was already won at that stage. So it just shows like the it's and it's what they train for the team, and it's what it's it's the identity of the team is to be yeah. intense. This is this is what we do. Fight. Yeah, yeah, to to get the, the high the high turnovers and then have the ability to actually put an end, put a finish to it as well, finish it. And it was three one, and it was pretty much game over at that point. Especially when Reese James went and got sent off. His first one was, I know, I know. There's this new rule about you can't kick the ball away. I think Sterling later on did it, and it was a clear kick away because he was frustrated and the whistle had gone ages ago. With with Reese James's first one, it was a foul by Gallagher, and then James did sort of kick it away a bit. But 
I don't really. I think it was a bit soft, like the first yellow card. Like, I, so I, is it? I I know the rule, but is the rule you can't kick the ball away, or is it? It's a time wasting thing. So when Sterling done it, he wasn't really time wasting because they were losing. Why do they need to waste oh, no, time? But they're yeah, losing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like whereas the game was still tied when James done the first one. So like, yeah, well, you are time wasting because. You're mm. trying to waste, and I, I reckon the line I dobbed him in too. I don't think the ref seen it, and I reckon the linesman on his <laughs> headset had said, "Yellow card, James. He's kicked the ball away." Yeah, because because even was... the commentators thought it was on Gallagher at the start, yeah. and then they kind of went, "Oh no, no, no! The the yellow card's actually for Reese James for time wasting." So yeah, no, it it wasn't really like it. A kick away like Sterling's was, but this was like more just 10 like, or 15 meters. Like, it yeah, like, and it was what? more like I don't know. I'm not complaining about it, but I think it's just if you're going to book people for that, then you're going to get into a situation where players are then like more likely get sent off because it was a pass out from Sanchez and James. Sort of don't think he realized who was, who was on him. Horrible first touch. <laughs> Gave it to Gordon, the and then. When you do that, Gordon, when Gordon's away like that, all it takes is a hand on him and it's a yellow card because he's away. Which is the same as what Trippier did at the start. So you can't sort of say Trippier didn't deserve a yellow card, but it's the same thing. Yeah, it was a mistake by Reese James, but if Gordon's not up in his face putting pressure on him, he doesn't get yellow carded. Like we're forcing these mistakes again, but it was a, it was an absolute honking first touch that it killed him. Yeah, Gordon's was, he's rubbed out again. Gordon's terrorizing basically. Like he's 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 scared him. And he's, he won't be the first, ball. and he won't be the he's last. Been pulled back. Exactly. <laughs> but Reese James is a international quality fullback. Uh, Chelsea's captain. But and once it went Anthony down Gordon's to not. exactly once it went down to um, three one and ten men, it what it really was game over. And then Gordon put the icing on the cake. A beautiful little pass from Miggy. Gordon had gone up front by this point because I think Richie had come on. For Isak uh, and the movement, and this is why Gordon is dangerous when he plays up front. He just sort of darted in front of the defender just and done that little wrap around space. Not not a hint of offside, and he was away. And not not just to to get away like that, and the movement was brilliant. But then to have the touch inside and just to finish it in the bottom corner, this, that's just the sign of someone who's full of confidence. He that's the kind of goal that elite wingers why players forward score pretty regularly what about his overall performance keegan we've talked about him quite a bit he's he's probably been our player of the season so far he's he's certainly up there but the goal is beautiful but his overall performance and his impact on this team at the moment is just so strong isn't it yeah he personifies everything that we're about and you can see now that he's had the preseason, his confidence is probably up from the the Euros in the summer as well. He's every part of a Newcastle player that they thought he was going to be when they brought him. They, they would have watched him at length and they've said, look, this bloke's got everything that we need. And that's why they paid the money they did, which I think they were happy with at the time because they knew what they were buying. Like they're the no secrets, these guys know what they're doing. They know who they want to buy and they know how they're going to fit into how they play. So they're not just like nearly every every other big six club where they'll just spend money on a player because he's a good player. Not sure where he quite fits in how they play, but 
we do things differently and we know what we want and I think our squad is is fantastic and we don't have 20 good players with 20 great players like Chelsea do because it it, it will upset like guys will get upset and and start disrupting the dressing room because they're not playing and things like that. We've got the perfect blend of guys who are happy to play their role, like your Jacob Murphys and things like that. And I think Anthony Gordon was in the same boat as well, but the way he's played this season has been phenomenal. And I, I don't get me wrong, I'm that happy that he didn't get picked for the England yeah. team for this recent international break. But at the same time, I'm absolutely perplexed that he didn't. Like, yeah. he, he's been our player of the season. It, He's just come off, like I said, player of the tournament in the under-23 Euros, and his form has actually gotten better since then. And to pick someone like Cole Palmer before him is – I just don't get it. So that's not for me to – I don't actually don't care. I'm, I'm Part of me wants him to play because he deserves it, but the other part says, no, I don't because um, I don't want him to get injured yeah. and shit like that. <laughs> so, but he's – He's phenomenal. He's he's amazing. He's twenty two. Like, how good is he going to be when he's 24, 26? Like, that's the that's the thing. Like, what's his ceiling? Like, he's yeah. just so he's so good, and it he he just oozes class and quality, yeah. and and he's got he's got the temperament as well, which was another thing that we were told he doesn't have. He's he's immature. You know, he can't he can't handle it. He's going to get sent off. He's just like. He's, he's next level. He's just so good. Um, we saw the game out. We brought a couple of children on, which was nice. Um, give the kids kids a little run out. Uh, <laughs> Michael, Michael, yeah. Did you uh, notice that Richie came on. came on as well? So they all Richie could look yeah, after him on the ground, babysitting too. them. Yeah, the, yeah. The babysitter came on, so that it was all good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's it's funny to be in this position though, where in in such a big game against a good team. Where you can bring these these basically kids on. It was a bit like Man U, where Eddie said, "Oh, we just use the second half as like a training exercise." Yeah, <laughs> he didn't say it like that. After but he was we started about six fullbacks at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> so what a moment for the young the young lads bringing them on. Um, and you know we'll see. We weren't hoping to see them at this stage of the season, but but there there they are. Like we're, we're hoping we're not going to have to rely on them. Um, but it's it's amazing experience for them to get the debuts uh, in such a environment as well, where we've already won the game. We saw it out. The let's talk about man of the match. There's one person we haven't really spoken about too much yet. Well, there's a couple actually. I'm going to mention Miggy, who had a great game after his his injury. I'm going to mention Fabian Share, who is probably the most underrated centre back in the Premier League. But you can do the honours. You've got the T-shirt on. What is it about Bruno that makes him so important to this team? And why is it that he, he just makes the team tick in such a different way when he's playing, when he's not, than when he's not there? Yeah, I think I think his greatest attribute is he, he knows when he has to step up a bit. So as soon as that hair goes platinum blonde, you know he's going to have a big game and he knows it's time. It's like, it's kind of like if you're wrestling when Triple H used to pour the water over his head, but you know it was game time and it's time <laughs> to go. So when when he rocks up and he's platinum blonde with Joel Linton, then you know shit's getting serious. So, but he's, we, I don't want to say we take him for granted, but 
I think we are starting to take him for granted because his performances are just like first class every week. So it's hard to say he had a great game because that's his level. Like mm. it's it's kind of hard for good players to get judged like that. And it's unfair, I think, in a way, because someone else could have a game up near his level and all they'll do is get talked about because of how good they played. But the reality is with guys like Bruno, they're at that level every week. <laughs> like, So I, I I honestly thought he was, he was probably our man of the match last yeah. night as well. He, he was unbelievable in the middle of the park with and with sort of helping Lewis Miley out as well. Like, yeah, that kind of stuff that shouldn't go unnoticed. Yeah, he, he gets the team out of trouble quite a lot because he picks the ball up quite deep and it's it's one of the new words that people say, but he's press resistant. Like You just can't tackle him or if you do, you because, foul him. And, because what he does, the, the crazy thing that he does, sorry to cut you off, Jack, Yeah, is he knows where the trouble's coming from and he can put his body between the opponent and the ball. So he, he's really, really hard to tackle because he never really leaves the ball open in a position where someone can get the ball off him. And if they do, it's probably going to be a foul because they're going to have to take his legs out to actually get to the ball. And that kind of stuff's massive, especially a lot of teams are pressing teams now. So if you've got someone who can be shield the ball and press resistant, like you just said, <laughs> it's that's unbelievable. Uh, that's just another, like his vision and his passing and everything's great. But that, for me, is nearly my favourite thing, when he gets the ball and he can sort of see where the press is coming from and just can manipulate his body but between the pressure and the ball to protect the ball as well. It's just amazing. He doesn't often get the assists or the goals, but he's often the one who has the assist for the assist. So he'll be involved in the move somewhere before it actually gets to the, the pass yeah. and then the goal because um, he's, he's playing in that deeper position. They call them score involvements in score AFL. Score involvements. Like, he's, yeah. he's, he's probably the one player, like, he's probably the one, maybe Trippier maybe as well, but world-class. Like, you know, he plays for Brazil, he starts for Brazil. He wouldn't look out of place in Manchester City's team, PSG, anybody, Barcelona, no. anyone, because he's got that much quality and, and he's just got those attributes for the modern game. And it's a bit of a concern what we do when, when we don't have him like he's he's pretty fit all the time there was that spell last season where he had his ankle injury and he, he wasn't really fit towards the end of the season but we were still winning games you know with with him in there and he wasn't fully fit but what do you think we can do when he's not there because there's such a big drop off and it's nothing against the players who come in it's just they're not bruno and and nah. it all is the way it all is the way the team plays because he's so important to it so they're going to have to maybe come up with a plan, aren't they, for when Bruno's not actually there and we have yeah. to think about what we're going to do. Yeah, the reality is he's not going to play every game for the rest of the season, whether it's injury or fatigue, rotation, niggle, suspended, whatever it is, the reality is he's not going to be like that. So I think that's part of the reason why Tonali got brought. Mm. <laughs> but, but we're shit out of luck with that one. So... You are right. We're going to have to figure out some kind of formula or alter the way we play a little bit because we can't replace him. He's an irreplaceable player for us. So mm. that's why Eddie's yeah. Eddie and, and Mad Dog's Mad Dog because they can think of something else to try and help us win games when he's not playing. That that hundred million release clause or whatever it is is looking a bit cheap. <laughs> All of a yeah. sudden, <laughs> yeah. remember? I remember earlier earlier in the season. 
after the Brighton game, he wasn't playing. He didn't have a very good start to the season, and there was there was genuinely fans saying, "Oh, you know, we've got Tenali now. Do we even need Bruno?" <laughs> yeah. Like after four games, like yeah, he's got the contract. There's, there's apparently this release clause. He's he should be playing in the Champions League, you know, for the next five years if he wants to. You know, if he, if if we don't get there, like I don't want to talk about him leaving now, but yeah. 100 million, you'd probably not be happy even now, would you sell him for that if that's what the release cause is? Because he's just so important to the team. Yeah, like I think people will say, you can go and buy whoever you want for another 100 million, but the person might be Bruno. Like that's mm. that's just how it is. And it's not just the, the player, it's the person, it's the way he's brought into the whole region and the off-field staff as well. Like it, you, it's the whole package with him. It, it's not just the 90 minutes you get every time he plays. It's it's everything. So not just he looks like everyone loves him around the dressing room and, and things like that. So he really is like 100 million is not enough for a player like that because you've got to yeah. – he's no trouble. He's a, he's a fantastic player, but he looks like he's a fantastic person as well. And I think every club would be – like they'd bite your hand off for a player like him. Absolute pleasure to watch him every week. Absolute pleasure. So here's the league table. We've gone up to sixth because Man United haven't played yet. They've got Everton. Um, I think if we can keep in touch, we've got a lot of games coming up, obviously, including the two Champions League games and we've got a Carabao Cup game and we've got a midweek Premier League game against Everton. I think if we can keep in touch with the top about four or five by the time we'll play by after the Milan game I think we've got Luton and Fulham at home and we've got Forest so things get a little bit easier but what do you reckon if we can stay around that sixth fifth sixth mark you know we're only seven points off the top of the table as well so it's quite tight at the top but considering all of the contacts and contacts and all of the injuries and everything that we've talked about the league table is looking pretty pretty nice isn't it still yeah yeah it's not so much for me, it's not so much looking at the games we're playing. It's more more a time frame. So if we can still be around that time by the Christmas, like around the sixth, within striking distance of sort of fourth or fifth, by the time Christmas rolls around in a month, everything cross touch wood. Hopefully, we'll have Barnes back. We'll have Wilson back. We might get a couple more bodies, Longstaff and Anderson back as well. Hopefully things look a little bit like our depth looks a little bit more fatter, especially through that Christmas period where it's going to be very similar to what it's been now. So if we can get ourselves in a position where we can hang around that sort of five, six, seven, and then start getting bodies back in, I think we could be really formidable at the bank end. On the way home, coupled with no doubt we're going to have to buy maybe two or three players again in January because of what's happening and, and, Botman as well. We still don't know. I don't think anyone really knows what's the what's the latest with him and the severity and the length of time that he might be out. So um, we have, I think we have spoken about maybe it's Fabian Charles' position as a wonder, but potentially upgrade next as well. So it'd be interesting to see whether we go for a defender. I'm not sure if they'll bite off a midfielder, maybe a lone midfielder. I think Calvin Phillips has been uh, mentioned as well. I don't mm. think. We'll, we'll touch any Ruben Neves or anything like that at this stage. But, <laughs> yeah, I think, yeah, it just if we can get a couple of bodies back 
by January and then maybe add a couple through the transfer window as well. We're still hanging around sort of fifth, sixth, seventh. I think, yeah, we could be in for an absolute blockbuster second half of the year. Even if we've got someone like, I'm not saying Chris Wood, but someone of that mould who can be the third-choice striker on loan. Like, man, you got Veghorst last season. Someone like that who can just be a focal point who's reliable, who's going to be reliably fit if Isak and Wilson aren't. That'd make a big difference because then we wouldn't have to put Jolliton or Gordon up there. Like an Anton Sibiani type of of guy. I think we will be reactive in January just because we have to be because of the injury situation. But I'm not sure we're going to be sort of spending, bringing bringing spending forward. I think it'll just be a case of seeing what the market's doing. Do you think they'd have a nibble at Ekateke on loan? I don't. I'm not. I'm not the same as other fans who just think he's burned his bridges. Like I, I don't care really about what happened before. If he's a good young player, like they, they did the due, due diligence before on him. So I think if he's, he's yeah, got I the, don't understand if he was good enough. Sort of yeah. 15, 16 months ago, and he's chosen to play for his home club. Like, yeah, exactly. I, yeah. I, I don't know what the why you should just turn your back on him. I, I wouldn't have thought like if that was Lewis Miley, for example, that. Like, yeah, we wouldn't get that upset about it all, but I'd take him if he's up to it. But I think we could really be alone with an obligation to buy. Yeah, just yeah. given the, the FFP stuff and and things like that. So I think that could be a route we could go down in January. Maybe permanently buy one player and maybe yeah. two coming in on a six month loan with an obligation to buy, or a Calvin Phillips who might just be a six month loan because he needs to play before the Euros or something like that. Yeah, we just we just don't want kids on the bench, really. Like you know, no. <laughs> you know, we're, we're going to be going into the business end of the season, so we we'll want people who are a bit experienced who can contribute. So really good game, really good result. Everyone was feeling really good and really positive after the game. And I don't want to make too much of this because you know there's a bit of sort of back and forth and different opinions about it. But I just found this pretty strange from Murdoch Gadusi. I'm going to flash up his tweets that he put. So he said, not long after the game, what a team. NUFC, we need to give these guys more support in the stadium. We need to be louder. We need to be the 12th man. Jamie Rubin replied to that saying, what a team. And yes, we do need to match the intensity of the players with our support. Amanda wasn't happy about this. Uh, she put on Instagram, what an amazing game. So proud of the whole team who worked so hard today. The atmosphere was amazing and we are so lucky to know our 12th man is always our fans. So there's a bit of a domestic going on there, a bit of a quiet train journey London for them. Yeah, mid-ass in the doghouse. <laughs> I think, like I said, I don't want to make too much of this. Like I've been, I've talked about this a bit on social media and I got, I had people accusing me of trying to, cause division as if anyone gives a shit what I say or think. <laughs> Typical and then I had a few people saying that I don't really have a, an opinion because I live 10,000 miles away, which is a good one. Um, but I think I think owners, any owners, it's not just about this. And I, I'm, not, I'm not offended by what they said. I just think you have to be very, very careful when there's any, when there can be any perception that you're criticising supporters. And I think that that was a criticism because he's saying we need more from the supporters. I think in this instance, it's especially um, it's especially strange because there's been a lot of talk about the ticket and policy that you know Medad and the club actually set, which has meant that a lot of the old fans who used to go can't actually get in anymore. 
Um, it really seems strange to do this after a 4-1 win as well, where by all accounts, yeah. missed it was quite good. Like, I, so, and I just think it's, I just think you've got to be really careful when you're criticising supporters. And I think it was a bit of a criticism. And I just don't know why he did that. Like, And I know that there's, there's different opinions about this. And like I said, it's not a big, big, big deal. But it just seems very strange to me that he did this. What, what's your take on this? Yeah, I, I think it was definitely a dig. Like, there's no other way you could interpret it. And and Ruben sort of coming in as well. They've definitely spoke about it during the game and and how flat it was. But one, I don't think it was the right time after a four-one win. Like, it's normally something you'd sort of say after a loss and kind of like a bit of a rallying call, I guess after a loss to try and gather the troops and let's push everyone on and let's get loud next game and, and stuff like that. And it's probably the most hotly debated topic at the club at the moment is the whole, the ticketing and, and things like that. And I don't think, and look, we're saying this from 10,000 miles away. So what do we know? <laughs> but I don't think there's a right answer for anything that they do. So you, mm-hmm. whatever policy and whatever way they want to do it, it's going to be wrong. You're going to upset people and people are going to have the shits either way. So they're damned if they do, damned if they don't. Now, I think they're trying to make the best of the shit sandwich that they've got, but the the facts are it's just a shit show. And it's hard for us to comment on how bad the atmosphere is because, yeah, we're 10,000 miles away. We watch it on TV and it's hard to, look, it's hard to get a gauge, especially because you don't know how loud the actual effects mics are turned up around the ground, which we can sort of hear the background, but it's really hard to to get a feel for it. So we're kind of gaunted by people who are in the stadium. And, and even they're divided on it. Some are saying it's not that bad. Some are saying it's good. Some are saying it's it's no good. And I've read so much different stuff about it. Like if it's the court, the, that's what happens when you, you sell your soul and you get all mm. the corporates in and stuff like that. As far as I know, there's barely – there was a little bit of disruption in the leases where some people lost their seats for more extended corporate area, but most of the corporate areas have always been there. They've just done them up. So they're a lot nicer and the tickets mm. are a little bit more expensive to get in there. But I've, I've read like it's an age thing where there's a really, the age demographic in the stadium is really high. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> like It's just a random shit. And people, like I said, there's no right or wrong answer. So it doesn't matter what, anyone does there's no right way to do everything and the loyal points and and people traveling to away games and not actually going because they need the points and everything like, it's just a shit show but i don't know how you fix it yeah but abusing abusing it trying to have a little dig at the supporters the one way that you don't try and fix it. yeah that's why i just think like it's one thing it's probably the one area that the club of really had criticism on since they came in and like you said they're never going to keep everyone happy you've probably got 20 30,000 people who want to get in who can't so there has to be a policy of some sort but it was just a very um it was just a strange thing to say i think after after such a game as that as well where it was such a good win um and like you said him and ruben have been sitting there obviously thinking that the crowd are not in in this like but you're not going to get games like PSG all the time as well. That was such a unique 
experience that's the yeah so that's the outlier like and and war flags do what what they can do but it's just the nature of supporting a football club like and as you get better you know that the expectations change we've we've spoken with other people you know on the podcast about people can do what they want when they go to a game like there's this thing about fan police talking about tourists yeah. and people videoing the game yeah. Who cares what people do? You know, yeah. like it doesn't matter. Like people, people pay their money. Like they pay their money, can, they can do what they want. You, you you react to what happens on the pitch as well. So, I I think football owners, and it's not just you know our owners now. It's it's every owner has to be very very mindful if they're going to say anything, even if it's not a criticism of the supporters. Anything that can be perceived to be a criticism. Somebody called me a snowflake, a woke snowflake on Twitter <laughs> for saying this. But Buddy Dimmy, just, he's got no shame. Just <laughs> I'm, I'm not, I'm not offended by it. Like I'm not at the game. I, I don't, I don't get easily offended. I don't care what people say. I, I just think you have to be careful if you're in such a position where you know that every word you say has an impact and it is going to be yeah. argued one way or another. That they just need to be careful. I think in and what they're saying. And put it this way, if Mike Ashley had said that, you know, <laughs> oh. they'd be burning Sports Direct down on Northumberland yeah. Street. They so, wouldn't do it anyway. <laughs> and, and it kind of goes back to what I've said about the owners since the beginning. They're not, they're not Newcastle supporters. They're not friends, our friends. They are people who own a football club for their own reasons. They own a business. So you, they own a business. So you have to bear that in mind at all times. They're going to make they're going to make unpopular decisions or do things that people don't like. So it's healthy, I think, to have that, you know, to not just blindly defend everything they do or everything they say, um, because sometimes they don't get it right. And I, I think that was a bit of a misstep, like not a major one, not, not a big problem, but I do think it was a misstep that I have to just be a bit careful of. And I think the reaction from social media, from people was quite similar to that. You know, people were saying that it was a bit of a mistake. I think that they'd said that. But anyway, we've got we've got another massive game coming up on uh, Wednesday morning our time against Ooh. PSG in the Champions League. We'll have quickly talk about this. Here's the the league table. You've got Dortmund top on seven points, PSG second on six points, Milan third on five points, and we're sitting there fourth on four points. The group of death has proven to be a very competitive uh, competitive group. PSG away is a big ask. When we've got a lot of injured players, I wouldn't completely rule us out and say we we completely haven't got a hope in hell. Um, <laughs> but you, you've got to think a draw would be a really good result in this. Personally, I think that the the other game is more important for us because I, I think if we can get into a situation where we need to beat Milan to to finish third and get into the Europa League, I'd be very very happy with that. So we need them to not beat Dortmund or and us to not lose to PSG. You probably haven't thought much about PSG since we've just had such a big game, but what's your um what are you thinking ahead of this game, Keeg? Honestly, don't get smashed and don't get any more injuries. I think that's I don't think anyone's really expecting us to go and win the game or probably get anything out of the game. I think they'll be a very mad team after what we've done to them at home and retribution will be firmly front of mind. So if we can just get out of this with no injuries and maybe not as bad a loss as what we inflicted on them at home, I think that would be a pretty good result for us because 
like you said, if these games, and I know we want to win every game we play in, but there comes a point where it, it kind of goes into damage limitation now and you have to prioritise what we do. And like you said, if we can if we can hope that Dortmund can beat Milan and we can put all our sort of eggs in the in the Milan basket and try and get into the Europa League, which doesn't resume till I think it was it February or something February, next yeah. year. Yeah. So we can get hopefully a lot of our injured players back for a, a genuine tilt at the Europa League, plus hopefully some players in um in January as well. So yeah, I think just kind of write this game off. Hopefully we've got to beat Milan at home, which I think is a very doable, doable thing with hopefully a couple more bodies back too. So I just don't, I just want the same 11 players that played on the weekend to be available Mm. for next weekend as well. Yeah, I think whatever happens, we've not disgraced ourselves in the Champions League. Dortmund have just, we've been the the second best team in both those games, although the first one were were worth a point probably. Um, So it would just be nice to go into the Milan game and not have to, not thinking it's, you know, it's just a dead rubber. We've got nothing to play for. Uh, So I think it'd be really good. Really nice if we can go into that needing a win because I think we, we would win that. And then the Europa League is probably might be our best shot at getting back in the Champions League as well. Although Liverpool are in that, so <laughs> we don't do very well against Liverpool. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe it'd be better not to go there and have to play them in the semi-final or something. That would be horrible. All right. I think we'll call it a day. Um, you can go and listen to some Robbie and have yourself a nice sleep. I will, mate. I'll be loving my life. Yeah. Enjoy the tomorrow. Right. Thanks everybody. Don't forget to subscribe if you if you like what you've what you've heard. We will be back after the PSG game on probably Wednesday night our time. Um so we will see you then. Cheers. Thanks, Keith. See you, Jack.